On Monday, August 29th, Iraq came closer to civil war than it has been for years. The fears of many Iraqis that the political gridlock that has stopped government formation for 11 months since last year's elections would lead to violence were being realized. As clashes intensified around the Green Zone, home of Iraq's government buildings and foreign embassies, Iraq once more felt that it was on the brink. That was the sound of gunfire that raged into the early hours of Tuesday, despite the government announcing a nationwide curfew. And yet, by that afternoon, the clashes had ended, the curfew lifted, the masses dispersed, and a semblance of normality returned. I'm Mean Al-Arabi, Editor-in-Chief of The National, and in this week's Beyond the Headlines, we will be looking at where Iraq finds itself after a turbulent week. I'm joined by Farhad Alaeddin, Chairman of the Iraq Advisory Council, one of the most knowledgeable of Iraq's analysts. And here in the studio with me, senior foreign reporter Mina Durubi, who follows Iraq closely from a newsroom in Abu Dhabi. Farhad, how did we get to the point of armed clashes on Monday night at the heart of the Green Zone in Baghdad? We did it after uh, a political impasse that extended nearly 10 months. And, and clearly that we didn't have an outright winning uh, political bloc that could force um, the government formation and get out of this impasse. And at the same time, uh, that the stubbornness of all the sides in terms of not allowing or not conceding uh, to reach a compromise uh, solution between them. And it is, in reality, a pure power struggle between these rival competitors um, in the political groups. Each one thought that this is the opportunity or could be the threat for their existence sometimes. And and they have, both sides have treated this current political crisis as such. And that is where we are now. Uh, that even Muqtada Sadr today or his aide have uh, uh, labeled it as struggle for existence. So Muqtada Sadr, this nationalistic cleric that in one way or the other has been on the Iraqi political scene from 2003, but actually was able to secure 73 seats in Iraq's parliament in the last elections, which should have allowed him to form a coalition and therefore form government. And yet on Monday, just before these clashes happened, he announced that he would be resigning or retiring from politics. Farhad, do you buy it? Do you think he's actually retired from politics? It's not the first time that Said Muqtada threatens to retire from politics or actually actually leaves. Um, and the, in the past, he physically leaves Iraq and he goes sometime to Lebanon and sometime to Iran and resides there for months. Uh, but the difference this time being, in the past, he used to leave but have his political representatives in parliament. And the political machine carries on as it is. However, this time, because he pulled out the parliamentarians, so if he leaves, he will have no representation whatsoever on the political scene. And and for that reason, I don't think he is able to leave. And he just cannot throw away all the political power that he amassed in the in the past 18 years, just throw it away like that. So I don't believe that he's leaving. Uh, he might use it as, as different tactics or he might use it as, uh, as a way to regroup. But uh, we will see Muqtada Sadr in the political scene for a long time to come. So on Monday, Muqtada Sadr announced that he was retiring from politics. 
We saw the clashes. And then by Tuesday afternoon, he was back on TV screens, giving a speech and calling for his followers to pull back from the armed confrontations. Let us listen to Muqtada Sadr calling back his people, but also speaking to the Iraqi people directly. I still believe that my supporters are disciplined and obedient. And if in the next 60 minutes they do not withdraw, including from the sit-in in parliament, then even I will leave the movement. I say now that I walk in with a bowed head and I apologize to the Iraqi people, who are the ones burdened with what has happened. So, Mina, now that we've heard from Muqtada Sadr, he apologizes to the Iraqi people, but he's still adamant that he has retired and that he won't take a political position. But as Farhad said, very few people believe that he's actually off the political scene. So what can we expect his next moves to be? Uh, so Mina Muqtada Sadr's speech on Tuesday requested that his supporters leave um, the green zone within 60 minutes, which immediately cleared the way for parliament to resume its business and for political actors to restart the government formation negotiations. So what happens next really depends on the direction that Sadr's rivals will take, which is the coordination framework. So if they agree to dissolve parliament and clear the way to hold um, another early election, then Sadr would have made his point and will be willing to remain out of Iraqi politics for some time. We did see in his statement yesterday that he said, I'm just an Iraqi citizen and I'm out of politics. But then again, as uh, Mr. Farhad said, that he will be making a return to, um, to the political scene. However, I do want to go back on the point of the coordination framework because this is a very important aspect here. If they can feel that they can unilaterally form a government and exclude the Sadrists for for the next three years, then we would expect another round of violence, um, and which may not be easily managed. And what we saw the last two days in Baghdad could be extremely, like, could be extremely a lot more dangerous on the ground. Uh, we'll be seeing more of that. Um, from today's statement, it looks like the framework is willing to press ahead uh, and, and hold a parliamentary session to nominate, uh, to elect a president who then will have to nominate uh, a prime minister. So Farhat, can I ask you, is it feasible that the political train continues without a Sadr or would the clashes that we saw earlier this week be a precursor for more violence? I think we need to uh, distinguish the two. They are not interlinked uh, per se. Um, and the, the, the political process, uh, in my opinion, will continue sooner or later. The framework is adamant they want to go through. I remember that uh, at the moment it's calm, but in the next couple of months, uh, there will be a lot of demand from ordinary people uh, for government formation because they need the budget, they need the, the money, they need uh, the infrastructure and so on. So there, there will be a lot of push for uh, for restoration of, of the state, so to speak. Uh, there are uh, Iraqi interest is on hold because of the rivalry of these two camps. So the political process will be under pressure, internal and external, for it to continue. Then the question comes how it will continue, whether with or without the Sadrist. Sadrist will not be part of the next government. This is just not acceptable to them. However, 
if the political parties, especially the framework, uh, wise enough to include the demands that he had and accommodate some of the demands he had, I don't see how could Sadr could resist or he could be opposed to any um, government formation. So it entirely depends on the approach that the coordination framework takes in addition to the Kurds and Sunnis. Especially remember that we have two big blocks, Kurdistan Democratic Party and Sovereignty Alliance. These two are remain until now as uh, 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 allies of Muqtada Sadr, and they, they were part of the tripartite alliance. These two have not conceded and have not left really the Sadr camp yet. So if these two decide not to take part, then coordination framework is not going to be able to. However, if coordination framework applies some of or, or accommodates some of the demands of, of Sadr, then these two blocks would be uh, uh, taking part. In that case, the government formation will take uh, place. So right now, the ball really firmly in uh, coordination framework's uh, court and how they will handle uh, the process in the next couple of weeks will determine the political future of Iraq. Now, of course, there continues to be questions about the current president, uh, Dr. Barham Saleh, and Prime Minister Mustafa Al-Kadhmi, and where they sit in on this. Some people say that one possible outcome is that they remain in power until you have new elections and then everybody comes back to the table. And others, as you uh, rightly point out, Farhad, say, well, actually, you have these blocks, be it the Coordination Framework, the KDP, and uh, the Sovereignty Alliance led by Mohammed Halbousi, the Speaker of Parliament, could themselves form a government without going back to elections. So it was interesting to see that when the clashes were happening, the government was almost on the sidelines. They weren't part, they weren't a party to, to the tussle that was happening on the ground. Do you think that weakens the government in some way, uh, Farhad? Well, the government right now, the current government is a take-care-taker government, remember. and uh, they, they are not seen as party to the struggle. However, uh, uh, it is very clear that the uh, performance of the security forces who are obliged to uh, defend and protect the people of Iraq and the state were absent. They were simply hiding. The security forces that belonged to the state were not on the scene, and we saw that only two parties were on the on the arena exchanging bullets and, and rockets. Uh, one of them is the Sadrists, and the other one are the uh, uh, what we call the Fasail groups, who were uh, uh, fighting the Sadrists back, and and they were really in charge. And that begs the question as to where what, what this government and what the even next government going to do about this mass uh, uh, and and a huge number of weapons, which is completely outside the control of the state. Um, it, it, the, the events were a big test, and the, the state failed in that test. It is, it is going to be a big challenge for the next government, and certainly this government is proven that uh, they are in in very weak position to do anything about it. Well, Mustafa Al-Kadhmi, Prime Minister of Iraq, caretaker, as you rightly point out, Prime Minister spoke to the Iraqi people on Tuesday night, gave an impassioned speech, and this is what he had to say. وأحذر من هنا 
And I warn that, from now on, if they want to continue to stir up chaos, conflict, discord, and strife, and not listen to the voice of reason, I will take my moral and patriotic steps and vacate my post at the appropriate time, according to Article 81 of the Iraqi Constitution, and hold them accountable before the Iraqi people and before history. So, Mina, the Prime Minister threatened in his speech to resign and that he would leave a vacant position while these political parties continue to tussle over what happens next. What would that mean for Iraq? And constitutionally, what would be the next step? Well, Mina, if Prime Minister Mustafa al-Kadhimi steps down, then President Barham Saleh will automatically have to nominate a new prime minister to take the position. But that also presents a really big challenge for Iraq, only because uh, Barham Saleh himself is not in a new term. So whoever he nominates will be the prime minister over another caretaker government. So it's going to be like we're going to be going round and round in circles. So the president himself has not been voted in by parliament. Um, he's, he's an outgoing president. So I'm not sure if it's going to make the situation any better. Um, however, it could be possible that Mustafa al-Kadhimi steps down if violence on the ground gets really bad. Um, he might feel that he will have a lot of pressure on, on his plate. And it's not really his position to be... Um, to be sort of like getting in and stopping the violence, so he will step down. So that constitutionally is the only thing that can happen. Uh, President Barham Saleh will have to nominate a new prime minister, um, and that will be the, the only way forward. Which is what happened with Adl Abdel Mahdi, the former prime minister, stepped down, and then the president had to choose another uh, prime minister, and we and we had Mustafa al-Kadhimi come in. And one of his uh, big uh, positions was that he would hold elections in order to have government with a mandate. And here we are 11 months later and there's still no no government. Farhad, where do you see this going, particularly with calls to dissolve parliament? Can the Supreme Court get in and actually do that? We were expecting uh, the courts to make a decision this week, but of course they have now said that they are postponing looking into this matter. Well, what's your, what are your thoughts on the courts? Well, the court now decided that they will uh, deliberate on the ruling for this case uh, without the presence of both sides. Uh, and today, the lawyers for the three presidencies were at court and they were told to go home and wait a decision. So right now, the Supreme Court is uh, deliberating on delivering a ruling on, the, on this matter. Um, so we have to wait and see what they will do. Uh, I believe that they can, uh, they might deny the case as to make a ruling on that. However, the what comes within the decision that they make or their their ruling and and the writing in that ruling that will be the crucial part of their decision as uh, how they're gonna deal with this and if they will put the ball back in Parliament's court and. And, or they might say that because they didn't meet the obligation and the dates uh, outlined that the parliament need to be dissolved. So we have to really wait and see. Nobody knows what's, what goes on in their mind, but they are deliberating as we speak. Uh, the, the dissolvement of parliament, if we leave it to the parliamentarians, I can't see it happening because uh, there you will have very few uh, political blocs who believe that they are under obligation to dissolve parliament. 
they have fought for it, and uh, they don't think that the dissolved world parliament will change anything on the ground. At the same time, you have a court ruling that says that the next election that has to be under uh, an amended law. So this means the parliament have to go back in session and there have to be allocation of budget and so on. And uh, almost all the political blocs that are now in parliament, especially the coordination framework, do not want to go back to the same law and the same system. They might be thinking or trying to go back to proportional representation. And that in itself will be a problem uh, in terms of the uh, reaching some sort of agreement among the rivals. So it's really a very fluid situation politically, uh, and it's not clear what these political parties are planning to do or wanting to do uh, until until the time comes. So it's uh, in Iraq now, it's you know, one day at a time, and they take it as it comes. Uh, the, the future planning ahead is almost non-existent. And that's been one of the biggest problems in Iraq, is quite often it's very short-term but even more so today than it has been for some time. So I just want to say, as we reflect on this week, we know that the Iraqi state has come out weaker and the Iraqi people, as often is the case, are probably the, the biggest losers out of this dynamic. But Farhad, if you had to say, who comes out somewhat stronger from this, from the political actors? Who do you see as coming out stronger from the week's events and who do you see as coming out weaker? I think all come out weaker uh, in different proportion. Uh, Definitely the Iraqi state and the Iraqi people are the biggest losers in this. And the political parties might have small temporary gains, but at the end they are losing the the plot, they are losing the game. They are losing their credibility. Uh, No matter which one comes out on top, uh, they are are all losers in in, in that term. They have failed their people, they have failed their obligation. And they, they are doing no justice to the Iraqi people. The Iraqi people deserve much more, but the and much better services, much better uh, ruling elite. Uh, however, these people are mostly engaged in their self-interest and self-indulgence rather than serving the Iraqi people. Mina, do you see anyone coming out stronger from this? I see very little hope for compromise. And as uh, Farhad said, uh, the Iraqi public are paying the highest price for this. Um, I mean, constitutionally, I feel like we're in unknown territory as to who has the power to move things forward. Um, The court, the Supreme Court, the issue with the Supreme Court, by nature, cannot dissolve the parliament and parliament has to dissolve itself. MPs cannot meet because they need about 220 MPs to meet to meet quorum in order for them to have a session. And so far, we've seen the Sadrist supporters blocking them from entering parliamentary buildings. And the president and the prime minister are in no position to be making, you know, any big deals that could break this uh, political impasse. So um, I think all sides are weak at the moment, uh, but the Iraqi people are really paying the highest price. And we'll have to wait and see in the next few days what will happen. All right. Well, on that note, Iraq's political gridlock continues and no clear end in sight. However... At least for now, the threat of war seems to have been subdued and the violence that we feared would really take over has been abated. We'll continue to follow the story at thenationalnews.com. You've been listening to Beyond the Headlines. I, Mina Al-Arabi, have been your host with thanks to our guest Farhad Alaeddin Mina Durubi. This week's episode was produced by Arthur Edison. If you liked this episode of Beyond the Headlines, please subscribe and leave a review. Thank you for listening.